Um, just as far as, uh, just in case you don't believe that God moves in a powerful way. Uh, you all know that we've been praying for Wayne Carter uh, with his cancer diagnosis and those type of things. I just got a message during worship from Dawn. Uh, she said, hi, Pastor Don, wanted to share our praise. Wayne's oncologist just called, yes, on Sunday. Said Wayne is going on maintenance therapy to keep the cancer away because all of the biopsies came back cancer free. Come on, somebody. Come on, stand up and give God praise. Yeah, come on, give God praise. Don't be afraid to ask God for miracles. Don't be afraid to ask God for miracles. This is a season of the miracle working power of God. This is not a year of destruction. This is not a year what the enemy meant for evil. Come on somebody. God's going to use for good. And I just believe that this has pushed the church into a place. Amen. Of believing God for, for good things and, and, and trusting God more than anything else. And, and, and we need to continue to be encouraged by these kinds of reports, amen, uh, about what God is doing. And we need to continue to press in. Do not be afraid to press in. Listen, the only reason that we call it a miracle is because it was beyond our strength anyway. And God has always been a God of miracles. And I, I shared yesterday at, at the memorial service for the Gagne family, uh, for little uh, Olive, what if faith has less to do about what we can accomplish and do and more to do about who we trust? Come on, church. And, and the truth of the matter is you'll never learn to trust God until you know you can't trust your own strength. And so I think God brings us into seasons that brings us back to the, to the declaration and the understanding and the revelation that we need God. I believe it. And, and these are just all miracle working power. These are just God moving in a powerful, powerful way. So uh, it, it's just so encouraging. And I could go on and on. But um, I got a sermon to share with you about, especially some of you married folk. Hello, somebody. We just need to rejoice in the Lord over this. Um, I want you to turn with me today in your Bibles. Again, like... Um, if you are here and you're visiting because of our marriage sermon series, that's an incredible thing. Let's, let's welcome all our visitors. Amen. Thank you and continue to push in. It's a powerful time for us at FFM. We, we, we love this season, even though it gets moved around a little bit. Um, uh, again, and, and if you're here because you're visiting and because your church isn't back in service or maybe your church is back in service, but there's still some things, whatever. I, wanna, I want you to make sure that you know, our offerings are outside now. We don't take it up anymore right now during COVID season, and it's online. But if you're visiting and you belong to another faith family, don't give here. Give at your home church. Your leadership is still trying to work through uh, what it means to lead that body of believers through this season. Uh, but that being said, that if you are a family member, hello, somebody. Amen. And uh, never have we understood more than this season, why we do what we do. It is important to have resources to serve each other. And, and if we were a family who didn't believe in giving, I, I would be, um, I would hate to think what we could or couldn't even do for the Owsleys or the Clovensteins during this time, right? So we, you need to understand, amen? It's so good. 
So keep doing that. Thank you so much for that. I want you to turn on me in your Bibles this morning as we go into part two of Unashamed uh, to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. And I've titled this particular message, Purpose, Undressing What Values Most. You just have to keep up with my southern ease. Um, Watch this. We're going we're gonna to stay with our, our staple verse. In Genesis chapter 2 verse uh, 25. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Everybody say unashamed. unashamed. Now I'm going to flip back for t- uh, one chapter just for today's sermon. And, and get you Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. And God blessed them. Everybody say God's blessed me. If you're married this morning, say it with me. God has blessed me. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on earth. Be fruitful. Everybody say be fruitful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of the word. Bless it to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? All right, here we go. Let's go to work. Ready? Oh, I got one or two. And both of them were wives. (laughs) I find that the husbands are always apprehensive during marriage sermon series. Uh, Okay, no, I'm not. I'm not ready. I'm here, but I'm holding my breath, Pastor Don. Let me make a statement to you married people. Let me make a statement to you, unmarried people. Here is the truth that you must always embrace. You will find what you look for. If you've been in my office on my couch with Sister Lisa and I, and you've talked... To us about marriage in any form of fashion. Pre-marriage, crisis marriage, maintenance marriage, or marriage ministry. You will hear us use a term called confirmation bias. You will find what you look for. You ever bought a new car? No one. That you know has a car that color. You're on the lot. You look at this thing and you're like, man, this thing is so unique. Look at this. I've never seen this color before. You drive that car off that parking lot, pull up to the first red light, and there are four cars at that red light that color. But you've never seen that color before in your life. All of a sudden, you see. You will find what you look for. Trophies are an interesting thing, aren't they? Trophies? They're they're an interesting thing, aren't they? Like we work hard for trophies. We're young, we're in competition, right? 
uh, we, we battle in maybe sports or those type of things. And, and the end goal is that trophy, that championship. Trophies are an interesting thing. We spend so much time practicing and thinking and studying and figuring out how to get to that end goal to get that trophy. I, I, spent, I spent two years plus 12 intense weeks training for the competition in Ohio when, they, when these crazy people talked me into powerlifting down there. It was, was not a nice time. I hurt every day. Why? Because there was a goal, right? And so we went down there and, and had a great time. All that training, all that time spent lifting weights, all that time, right, saying, I, and here's what's my thought, I want to be the littlest guy in the room who lifts the most weight. Pound for pound, I'll be stronger than every guy in the room. That's, that's what I wanted. And so I'll, I'll never forget, on the squat, setting the state record for my age and weight class. I was all right. On the bench press, I'll never forget setting the Michigan State record for my age and weight class. I'll never forget on the deadlift, setting the, and I was just like, at the end of the day, it was nice. There's a plaque on the wall with a medal and all those things. But you know, I'm a, I'm a couple of years older now. And in my mind, when I'm training in the mornings on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, I'm like, I don't really know if I want to go that hard anymore. <laughs> I don't know if I'm just lazy or smarter now. I don't really know. Here's the deal. I check every once in a while, and I still have the records. <laughs> now, my attitude might change when somebody beats my, my record. Trophies are an interesting thing. Do you, anybody in here have trophies? You got, you got some trophies? Who's got some trophies? I brought some trophies this morning. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, I got some trophies in here. Let's see. This is, I mean, look at this thing. Man, look at this thing. Church softball. Firm Foundation Ministries. League champions of Sturgis Recreational Church Softball League. I remember that year. That's the year right there where Steve Eberle came up to me because I was coaching third base one year and I was sending guys and we were pummeling every team that we played. And, and we were running up the score. And a big time. And I was sending guys around third, round third. And Steve Abley came out of the dugout. And he said, you know, Pastor Don, you might, you might want to hold them up. And I looked him dead in the eye. And I said, grace is for God and Sundays, not the softball field. <laughs> I came to win. I remember that trophy. It's so good. That was a great trophy. That's a great trophy. Look at this one right here. Yeah. It's a trophy. Uh, this is a three-on-three -three basketball contest. First place. I, I came to win. I came. I'm going to step on your toe. I don't care if you can out-jump me. You can't jump if I'm standing on your foot. So, and... Uh, this one. 
This one's left over from my son after he left house. This is a, a trophy, a uh, rocket football. The little, little, like, um, I remember he's a little bitty guy playing football, and I was so worried about everything. I, I wouldn't worry about him now, but anyway, that's, uh, trophies are an interesting thing. They come in all shapes and sizes. But the, see, the problem with trophies is they kind of, they're great. We achieve them, and, and, and then we like them, and for a time, maybe we put them on a shelf and we display them, but after a while, trophies tend to fade away a little bit, and, and would they find their way somewhere else, out of the way, maybe in a back of the shelf or in a box somewhere or, or they collect dust even if they're on the shelf and then they, they find their way up into the attic and, and after a while trophies kind of <laughs> this is softball league tournament trophy again and from Foundation Ministries softball tournament, like third place. And I'm third place. Awards. They, there's something that we once raised in a moment of celebration. The problem with these things as most of them get forgotten and packed away. Now, you might think it's cruel, but I'm going to tell you a story about Breno. A lot of you young people admire Breno, and you should. But I remember when Breno was in the ninth grade playing basketball. And I went to his parents, and I said, I need to have a discussion with Breno. I see something in him, and... I'm not real sure about basketball. Breno's built for basketball. Have you seen this kid? His body, he's built for basketball. And they said, do what you want. So at ninth grade, I went to Breno and I said, Breno, are you ever going to play in the NBA? He said, no. I said, are you ever going to lead a church? He said, that's my greatest desire. I said, then why are we spending all this time practicing, playing, something you're never going to do to earn something that you're going to put in a box and forget about? Instead, why don't you and I start a doctrinal journey? And all the time that you would spend on the gym floor practicing, I want you in your Bible. Breno is who he is today because he said yes. That might not seem fair. It might seem wrong. But you sure enjoy it when he preaches. He didn't start yesterday. Let me tell you something, church. Let me tell you something, young people. Life will trash your trophies. Life does not care about them. Think about
how much time and energy is spent in our life chasing things that don't matter. How many of our life's achievements are things that get stuffed in a box and forgotten in a dusty attic? Enduring treasures are relationships. Things that matter are relationships. Our relationships today in particular, my message to you, our marriages are the things that matter. Our marriages must always trump our trophies. Help me church, help me church. They cannot love you back. They don't care about where you are today. As a matter of fact, most of them are a reminder of what you used to be and how you're failing today. Most of them are a reminder that you are not what you once used to be. They represent something that doesn't encourage us about what is happening right now. Do not neglect your marriage. Do not neglect your spouse in pursuit of a trophy. <laughs> Pastor Don's going to make you an, a, a promise. I'm going to make you a guarantee right here. Anything achieved at the expense of your marriage isn't an achievement at all. I would rather be poor and have nothing to eat and be with that woman than I would be without her. And if you don't believe that what I'm speaking is true, you go home and read the book of Hosea. And at the end of the book of Hosea, you pay attention to what he did. He sold everything inside the house, including the food, so he could find enough money to go buy his wife back. And when he brought her home, he brought her home to nothing. It was an empty house. It was empty cupboards. They had nothing to eat. He brought her home to nothing. He demonstrated to her that nothing in life is more valuable to me than you are. You, you don't read like I do. God calls us to live with an eternal perspective, especially a pers an eternal perspective about marriage. Our marriages are designed and purposed by God for an eternal legacy. Steph, I'm just going to say it instead of call you up here. Like she reminded me during worship, she came up, she didn't know what I was preaching on today, but she came up to me and she said, Pastor Don, just during worship here, I was just sitting there and all of a sudden I remember sitting on your couch, you looking me in the eye and telling me, young lady, any boat that you're about to get on that causes you to sail away from your husband, you better burn. It would be better to be trapped on an island with him than get on a boat and sail away from him. See, I want to encourage every spouse, burn the boat. Burn the options. Do away with it. Our marriages are designed for God's eternal legacy. And God's master plan, listen to me, is to be fruitful. Now some of y'all ain't got any kids right now. You're like, okay, I'm missing God. Or some of you got a bunch of kids that are like, okay, Pastor Don, we get sainthood. <laughs> and 
If you have a bunch of kids, especially teenagers, and you're still sane, I might agree with you. God's master plan is to be fruitful. The problem is marriage gets stuck in ruts, a rut of monotony. And a lot of marriage, uh, the problems that take place inside of marriage are because of boredom. Oh. And the cure of boredom in marriage is serving. Oh, you're with me. Come on, somebody's with me this morning. See, serving creates the antidote to the toxicity of complacency in marriage. When you and your spouse reach the end of your time on earth, what will matter the most to you will be the moment you served each other and the moment you served alongside each other. Ask every Ask every couple that my wife and I have done crisis marriage counseling with, in the due time, part of their assignment is to do what, Stephanie? Serve each other and then serve others. That's part, you got to do your homework, I ain't meeting with you again. Because, see, I I need you to understand something here. When you and your spouse reach the end of your life, the issue about your house isn't going to matter, your car or the bank account isn't going to matter. What's going to matter is those moments that you can remember side by side each other, serving one another and serving alongside one another. See, what happens is when you remove selfishness from your marriage, love is all that remains. When you remove selfishness from your marriage and love is all that remains, that's the kind of love that will radically change your marriage and allow your marriage to change the world. Any marriage left on autopilot is going to drift. But a marriage given consistent investment, a marriage given consistent time and focus, a marriage given selflessness and service will flourish. Let me give you this. I believe it with all my heart. Your best days, I don't care how long you've been married, your best days can still be ahead of you in marriage. I tell people all the time, my wife and I are having fun being married. That don't mean every day we like each other. I thought she was teaching Sunday school this. We love being married. It it wasn't always that way. (laughs) Well, over 25 years ago. But what I can tell you that Pastor Rick kept giving us that promise. Your, your, your best days can be ahead. Your best days can be ahead. Your best days can be ahead. And, and we experienced that fruit. We experienced that benefit because we did his homework. We, we worked on particular things. See, you need to understand that not only does the book begin with marriage. That's how important marriage is to God. The book begins with marriage. That's a radical thought for some of you. 
Not only does the book begin with marriage, but God, I want you to notice something here. God gives them a commandment. The very first commandment he gave to a married couple was Genesis 1.28. And he said, be fruitful. Now there's a Hebrew word there for it. I'm not going to try. I can't pronounce most English words. So... Be fruitful. Now, I want you to embrace that word right there because I want to challenge what you think it means. The problem with reading this book, and, and all you guys who've been through my discipleship class when we learn men how to read the Bible, is, is the, the first thing I can tell you is stop reading the Bible with Western eyes. You, you can't do that. You have to read the Bible w w with a different cultural eye in order to get a hold of it because if you don't, then you're going to try and apply Western world culture to what you're reading in Scripture, you'll miss it. What does fruitfulness mean as it relates to marriage? It's easy for us to dismiss the Scripture as just, okay, y'all go have a bunch of kids because y'all are the only two and, and uh, we need some peoples on this planet. It, right? Like, that makes sense to me. As I read it, it you're the only two. And so I need y'all to uh, do what married... Hello, somebody. I need you to be fruitful. I need you to have a bunch of kids. I need, I need, I need that to happen in order... Hello, somebody. For, for this thing to work. We've got to have some people on the planet. And so you've got to be fruitful. And, and, and you've got to go have a bunch of kids. But the first commandment wasn't multiply... The first commandment was be fruitful. He said be fruitful and. Everybody say and. and. That's something else. Multiply. The multiply part was have kids. The be fruitful had nothing to do with having kids. Because that's not what the Hebrew word means. We are to cultivate... Relationship. Be fruitful. Now watch this. I'm just going to take you to a New Testament scripture here. And it's Galatians chapter 5. When we start talking about uh, fruit, right? Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Everybody raise your hand if you wish every one of those fruit of the Spirit... Was in your marriage. Can you name some of them that aren't? Boy, there ain't no peace in my marriage right now. I'm telling you right now. I do not know what to do. Boy, I'm just kindness. Holy man, right? Like faithfulness, boy. Right? Gentleness, self-control. I just, I, you know what I'm saying? Like this thing is going, hello church. We are to cultivate fruit. Now, I need, you to, I need you to grab a hold of this because there's a, there's a great word inside of here. The word is, is singular, fruit. Not fruits of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. Stop thinking about an apple and think about an orange. An orange is a fruit, but when you peel it open, it has many segments. God is calling us to walk in fruitfulness because God intends to peel us open, amen, and pour out those nine segments into our relationships, in particular our marriage. 
If we can't walk with each other, how can we walk with God? Remember that statement from last week? And this is what God is doing. Cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And, and this, this kind of fruit here, it only flows and grows in our lives when we're rooted in Christ. John 15, 1. I am the vine. Right? Come on, church. You got to be rooted in me. Whatever's rooted in me grows, right? The problem with growing fruit in marriage is this, right? We don't want to go through the pruning process. We don't like it. But nothing grows without pruning. Now, my wife's a city girl. She's raised in a military family all her life. Grew up on the military base most of her life. I'm a country boy. I grew up on 3,000 acres, right? We, I, I don't want to sound derogatory, but we were wild, right? Like there was just, I mean, you got farm equipment, you got animals, you got farm, you got 3,000 acres, right? You do whatever you want to, nobody cared. Uh, Bo and some of the other guys have been there where I grew up. There, there ain't, there, there's 50 miles before you find a police officer. We just did what we wanted to. We were in the woods. We, I mean, we were just, it was just everywhere. So, we move into a house when we get married. It's got some azaleas and other stuff. My wife's never really been around this process. And one day, I'm outside trying to fix these azaleas. Now, they're, they're trying, they're, they haven't been touched in years. And, and uh, you know, they, look, uh, they, they need some trimming and some pruning. And, and I got the shears out there one day, and I am going to town. I'm pruning back these azaleas because, man, you got to prune these things back in order to get the flowers to grow right on them. And got to get those caterpillars off of them so they don't eat all the leaves. And, and, and so I'm out there and I'm not, I must have looked like some, I, I don't, mass murderer with the shears out there just shaking the, my wife comes out, what are you doing? You're killing it. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm pruning it. She said, huh? what is the, why would you do that? Why would you cut everything off of it so that it will grow back stronger? She said, you, I looked out the window and all I seen was a bush shaking and you in the middle of it with the thing just hacking away. You look like a maniac. I can't walk. What do the neighbors think? Stop that. I'm like, woman. Nothing grows without healthy pruning. As a couple, we got to let God prune our lives for new growth. You see, here's the deal. Like, um, carpenters here, just, they just got married. Haven't been married a year yet. Good? Going good? Yeah? <laughs> of course he's going to say yes. He's sitting right next to her, right? Like... <laughs> you asking me in public like I'm going to say no it's horrible no right since you've been married and you have joined your lives together and you live in the same house I really they did it right have you grown any yeah <laughs> okay now his eyes are like oh yeah <laughs> That's the point of marriage. You should never stop. I don't care if you've been 30, 50, 60 years. Every day we should grow. You, you're not the sa- Tyler, you're not the same guy you were on your wedding day. Carly, has he grown up a little bit? Yeah. He picked a little. She's like, uh-huh. 
How about her? See, the right answer, Tyler, is it, he's learning, right? That's called good premarital counseling. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Uh, they're growing. They're, they're not the same people they were six months ago. There's a growing that happens. There's a growing that happens inside of us because what happens is we begin to allow God to cut off old things so that new things come. Pruning can look the opposite of what you think should happen. My wife says you have killed that bush. The next year when that bush came back, come on church, it's full. If you've ever seen an azalea bush full, they're beautiful. Flowers everywhere. And she says, I, I thought it was dead for sure. Pruning causes us to grow in ways nothing else will. Why would you cut away something to make it grow? It seems counterproductive, doesn't it? And it's messy and it looks worse for a time. She said, you look like a maniac in the middle of that bush. Look at it now. Are there some things that you know God wants to remove from your marriage that you aren't willing to let go of? Hello, husband. Hello, wife. If there are some things that you know... God wants you to let go of in your marriage and you're not willing to do it. The lack of growth in your marriage isn't God's fault. You're resisting the process necessary to give you the fruit you and God desires. Now caution, caution, caution. If you find yourself looking at your spouse thinking it's your job to prune them, don't. If you've been doing that, if you've taken a pair of shears in, in whatever spiritual realm or, or knowledge, and you think it's your job to start hacking stuff off of your spouse, I'm going to tell you right now, stop it, stop it, or you're going to be in my office. And I'm going to tell you again, stop it. Amen. God is the pruner. Yeah. Not you. God is the pruner. Not, it's not your job. Stop taking some invisible pruning shears and hacking away at each other. That's not your job. And let me tell you how we do that. Oftentimes the greatest and sharpest pair of pruning shears that you can hack away at each other with is criticism. That's hard. It's difficult. Right? Call me a name and call you a name. Talk about my mama, talk about your mama. And it never stops because then you wind up to grandmamas and great grandmamas, and you know what I'm saying? It just goes on. Pretty soon you're talking about people you have nobody, they don't even know who you're talking about. Criticism. Does that mean we have to accept bad behavior? No. But here's what I want you to understand. God never calls us to prune each other. Instead, he calls us to take the handle of shears together with the Spirit. The three of us allowing God and the Spirit to prune our marriage. And I'm just, I'm just going to grab you right here. The biggest weed choking marriages and hindering the fullness that we want in our marriages today is busyness. I, I kid you not. 
It's busyness. And, and that busyness surrounds chasing things that one day you're going to put in a box. And you're going to forget. And it ain't going to matter. And they go, look at the dust on these things. In the box they got dust. I have no idea how this thing fell apart in the box. It wasn't like that when I put it in the box. What happened? It just proves to you that no matter how well something's put together, how much you chase it, that setting stagnant, everything disintegrates. What values most? Marriages today are being suffocated by insanely busy schedules. I remember looking at one husband and telling him, you got to quit your job. He's sitting in this room today. And he said, what are we going to do for a living? What does that matter if your wife ain't around? What are we going to do for an income? I said, what does that matter? If your wife and your kids are living somewhere else. This job is not good for your marriage. It takes up too much time. It's too big of a distraction. It's not of the Lord. Hello, somebody. Now, y'all might think I'm mean, but I care more about marriages than I do about finances or anything else, even your opinion, right? And you know what? To his credit, he went in the next day. He didn't give a two-week notice. He didn't give a, a, a conversation. He went in and looked at his boss and said, my marriage is struggling. This job is its problem, one of them, and so I don't work here no more. Now, they still married today. You know what God did that week? Gave him a job. More money and a better schedule. See, what we need to do is understand that Satan can outright bust up a marriage and then push us so fast and run us so ragged to deplete us from so much energy that you can't invest in your marriage. And I'm just going to tell you this too. Some of you parents, your kids, your kids, they need to go to bed. They need to go to bed. Don't come to me talking about I don't have no control. They just won't go to bed. I had a healthy fear of Terry Smith. And when he told me it was bedtime, it was going to be painful if I didn't get myself in there. You know what he did when I went to bed? He spent time. I hear parents all the time. Our kids won't go to bed. They don't go to bed till midnight. We don't have any time together. It's not your kid's problem. Don't come in here blaming your kids. That's a parenting issue. We don't, like the, we don't like the clothes our kids wear. Who buys their clothes? We do. That's a parenting issue. <laughs> we don't like their haircut. Who pays for the haircut? We do. That's a parenting issue. Y'all don't like me right now. I didn't tell. Ooh, I felt it. I felt, I felt it. I was like... Oh. You know, I, I watched my daughter and son-in-law. I threatened my son-in-law really good. Y'all don't know. Uh, when he started pursuing my daughter. I, I watched their girls. When they look at them and say, Hey, mom and dad are going to go spend some time together. Those girls never complain. They never, ever, ever say, Oh, why can't we go with you? That's so sad. You're being mean. You know what they say? Okay. 
You know why? They trained them that way. From the beginning. It's important for mom and dad to spend time together. Without you. Busyness can be surrounded around even good things. Somebody say amen. Because children are good things. Amen. They're a blessing from the Lord. But children also need to be, right, trained and taught that there's something valuable in this home. And it's mom and dad's relationship. And if mom and dad are good, we're all good. This is very important. My encouragement is to take the pruning shears together with the Holy Spirit and work on your schedules. And I'm preaching to the choir this morning. Because there's some days I'll leave at 8.30. I'll leave at 6 o'clock to come for prayer on Tuesday. I don't get home sometimes at 10 o'clock at night. My wife's in the bed when I left, in the bed when I got home. The only person awake at either one of those two hours sometimes when I leave is the dog. And she's looking at me like, sorry about your luck. You can say a lot of good things. You can get involved in a lot of good things that I'll keep you from the best things. Good is always the enemy of best. Mike Munson said that to me one day in my office when I was struggling. And I'm like, you know, I'm just trying to do, I'm trying to be good. And, and Mike, he didn't have no sympathy on me. He was like, I ain't asking you to be good. I'm asking you to be the best. Stop settling. Dang it. <laughs> Busyness is the enemy of peace. Yeah, but Pastor Don, these things make me happy. Really? Let me talk to you about happiness. Why do we expect things or people to make us happy? You've been in my office? Raise your hand. Some of you have been in there. Right behind my desk on that, there's a, picture, a couple of pictures of my wife. And right in front of those pictures of my wife are, are sign, is a sign that says, Happy wife. It's there. It's there. Now, people come in my office and they see that sign and they have different opinions. They come in and they go, oh, that's real nice. I had one person come in there and say, you know, I really hate that saying. Because it, 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 it makes me feel like nobody cares about my happiness. And I'm going to look here, bud. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And if daddy ain't happy, don't nobody care. So, I'm just kidding. you can read that sign and you can think, wow, that's a high-maintenance woman. Or you can read that sign with purpose. Let me explain. That sign and that statement for me has nothing to do with my wife And if you know her, she definitely ain't high maintenance. I mean, there's times when I literally look at her and go, sweetheart, sometimes you are so practical, you ain't no fun. <laughs> I'm just, like, it's okay. You know, like, it's all right. Yeah, but you don't need that. Um, it's not, sometimes it's about fun. It's not really, yeah, but we don't, really, we don't need that. It's not, see, it's okay. I mean, she looks at me and goes, what we need is toilet paper. <laughs> this is the practicality. And I love her for that. Most days. 
But see, that sign, a happy wife, happy life, it reminds me of my life's greatest treasure. She isn't a trophy to be forgotten or stuffed away somewhere to collect dust because I got other things to pay attention. Y'all not helping me this morning. Don't lecture me about my sign. Get your own. Maybe it don't say that, but you need something that reminds you of the treasure of your spouse or else everything else in the world is going to tell you they're not that valuable. I'll say it till the day Jesus comes back or y'all put me in the ground and somebody gets up here and tries to preach my funeral and mess the whole thing up. Outside of the love of Jesus, the greatest change agent in my life was the love of that woman. And I'm not out my issue. Happy wife, happy life reminds me of the greatest treasure. And she will not be a trophy stuck on a shelf and forgotten and stuffed away. Too many marriages are suffering because they're blaming each other for their unhappiness. Not your job spouse to make you happy. You unhappy before you got married looking for somebody to make you happy and then you wonder why that person couldn't do it. It's impossible. Truth is happiness comes when you invest in things that matter. I I say this all the time. When my wife and I met, there weren't any fireworks. There weren't. There wasn't any slow motion real videos. It wasn't any Mark Anderson smooth jazz in the background. Some of y'all don't even know who Mark Anderson is, but I'm telling you, that dude is a jazz perfectionist. There wasn't any... I tell you all the time that our marriage and our relationship in the beginning, we weren't Christian, was a matter of convenience. And the result of that when we got married was a horrible experiment. Until we started investing in the things that matter. And one day there were fire. Come on somebody. One day there was slow motion video. Come on church. One day Mark Anderson was playing in the back. And I was looking at my wife going. How you doing? One day she came home from the grocery store. She, had, she just had bags full of groceries coming in. They used to go help her, but that day I didn't. So she comes fumbling through the door, right? And I'm sitting at the counter. And I heard, I saw on the camera, she pulled it. And I put Mark Anderson on Alexa. And it was playing. And she walks through the door and she hears this smooth jazz. And I'm just standing there. And she was like, listen, let me tell you something, Junior. Right now, it's not the time. <laughs> Y'all have no idea what goes on in my house. Y'all should, you should pray for that woman. At the end of my life, when I look back, what could mean more than that? Not building a church, not pastoring people, not preaching sermons. Your spouse's happiness is fueled When they know you value them above everything else. You start investing in things that will matter. Watch happiness change. Watch this work. 
They deserve your best, not your leftovers. And again, Pastor Don, I don't ever preach a sermon that I'm not preaching to myself. What if God doesn't want you to prune your spouse? What if he wants you to pour into them? Be fruitful. It has everything to do with giving and providing. Come on, church. Um, Ephesians chapter 4. There's a, there's a powerful scripture, verse 32. And it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And there's going to be a, a whole sermon on forgiveness. Y'all better brace yourself. As God in Christ forgave you, be kind to one another. Now, you, you might think it's weird that my wife and I have to sit in our office and look at married couple and say, this is your homework for the week. Be nice. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. This week, Breno came into the office. And I, I just sat down and laughed at him. I laughed at him. I'm telling you, I just laughed. I could not help myself. But he come busting in my office. Pastor Don, I've only been... And full-time ministry since May. And you know what I've discovered? And I was like, man, this guy is panicked. What happened? And he said, it's just like high school. All they did was get older. (laughs) I couldn't help it. I laughed at him so hard. He's like, it's not funny. Oh, my aching back. <laughs> oh, I said, what class did you have in Bible college that helped you with that? They don't, but somebody needs to teach it. <laughs> oh, be kind. We live in a world that needs kindness. And, and, and social media has done its best at ruining kindness. Yeah. Do you understand that? I see that every day. You say things to people on social media, you would never say to their face because you know you might get punched in the mouth. Yeah. Be kind to one another. Why do we even need to say that? We are God's people. We are God's people who are supposed to represent love. I might not agree with you or those types, but be Kind. Kind. Let me tell you something. You better be careful what you put on social media. Because we have discovered even this week that because of what's going on, just because people aren't your friends on Facebook doesn't mean they don't have access to the information you put on there. Because there are laws that give them special information to go behind and watch and see. And you better be careful. I'm just saying. Here's a big one we work on all the time, and I'm going to close. Tone. It, it sets the mood of the marriage. Being kind sets a strong mood of the marriage, especially tone. How your tone is with each other is very important. Is your tone one of love and encouragement? You see, not only is it important to think about what you're saying to your spouse, but it's important to think about how you're saying it. And let me just bless you. Don't be involved in any conversation that trashes spouses. 
If you are at work and there's conversations going on where other people are trashing, you get yourself out of there. Just get away from, you don't need that. Get away from that stuff. Because what's going to happen is you're going to stand at that water cooler long enough and join the conversation. And before you know it, your spouse is going to be getting trashed. Not only by the people around it, but by yourself. And you're going to go home with that attitude. There's a young lady out in the foyer one day. I'm going over my notes during Sunday school hour just one last time. And her husband and her had a conversation on the phone. He wasn't here yet. And, and, and it wasn't a good conversation. She hung up the phone and she just, she just blurted out, well, there's people everywhere, right? And that, he's a jerk. My wife grabbed her right by the hand and pulled her into my office. Slammed the door. And I'm like, what's going on here? And she looked at me with that prophetic finger and she said, you shush, I'm dealing with her. Well, I was like, oh. And I looked at my wife and I said, you, you, let's be pastoral here in this moment. And she said, negative. She looked at that young lady and she said, young lady, I don't know what just happened, but everybody in that foyer now has a seed of bitterness in their heart towards your husband and you planted it. She said, you will never dishonor your husband in public again. I was like, sweetheart, you got to be pastoral. She said, you shush. When I looked at that young lady, and I'm like, I'm sorry about your luck. I got to go. I done seen that finger way too many times. As tears started coming down this young lady's eyes. She began to cry. And my wife says, your husband's honor reflects from you. Maybe he is a jerk. But you can deal with that later. Don't dishonor him in public. Now, let me pray for you. So she prayed with her, and, she, and, and they stood there, and, and they were both crying, and, and I'm standing there just going, I'm going to need a new job tomorrow. They got done praying, and my wife looked at this young lady, and she says, now, we're going to go in there, and we're going to worship the Lord. And God's going to bless us. Revolutionized. Everybody needs a little bit of Pastor Lisa in your life. <laughs> transform their marriage don't be involved in a conversation that trashes your spouse those conversations create in your mind negativity that you will live in at home your focus must be on calling out the good in each other Philippians says if there's any good thing any lovely thing anything worthy of praise anything high think on these things see let me tell you why Pastor Don's pushing this because you will find what you look for what you're looking for in your spouse. Yeah. Confirmation bias will cause you to look for the negative things, right? Hacking away at them does not create growth. Somebody say amen. amen. If you're looking for the bad, you're going to find it. If you're looking for the good, you're going to find it. Whatever you're looking for, you will find it. Let me give you PD's promise. Put it up there, Beth. PD's promise. Y'all don't know, it is Pastor Don PD. Negativity and criticism will never promote or prompt your spouse to make an effort to change. Won't do it. Hacking away at each other doesn't create growth. It doesn't create change. The only thing that that does is create wounds. So what are we supposed to do then, Pastor Don? 
we want. We need our spouse to change. I'm not against change. Wives, you want your husbands to lead? I ask you a question. Wives, you want your husbands to lead? He's got no idea what that looks like. Is he supposed to be a rabbi? Put on his prayer cloth and lead the... What is he... What is it... Husbands, you want your wives to be more gentle? Oh, I got one. The rest of you guys are cowards. You're all cowards. <laughs> Cedric's newly married here, so he's, he'll get it in a little while. Like, but see, you notice Tyler didn't answer. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. She's watching online, buddy. <laughs> You're going home. <laughs> I'm telling you, I know. <laughs> Focus on what they do well. Praise them for it. Let your praise fuel them for change. I, I was a moron, right? I, I was not a good husband. I'll, I'll confess that. My wife came to me without criticism. Instead, she says, I love this about you. Here is what I appreciate about you. I know who you are in this. And these are the things that I believe you are and can do. And these things that are causing us and you trouble, our marriage trouble, I know that if you'll grow in the things that you're good at, those things will fade away. God never calls us to change someone through criticism. Praised behavior is repeated behavior. Focus on the good and the good will grow. Come on up here, worship team. There's no other human relationship more sacred than our marriage. Can you say amen? amen. So treasure your spouse. You will find what you look for. When we do this, your spouse will flourish. And ultimately, our marriages flourish, which is the very heart of be fruitful. Be fruitful. Don't treat your spouse the way they treat you. Treat them, come on church, the way God treats you. Jesus changed the world with love. And he wants us to continue that in our marriage. When we step from this life to eternity, love is all that's going to remain. Is that not biblical? Let God prune your life so that you can live with a heart of love. The results, I promise you, will amaze you. As the worship team's getting set, let me, let me leave you with this thought. And I've told this story before, but they're, they're good stories. And I want you to grab home. Not all of you have heard them. Don't treat your spouse the way they treat you. Treat them the way God treats you. My wife worked third shift early on in our marriage. My job to get the kids in bed and get them ready. And Malin, if you can imagine this. I don't, I don't, even now, I don't even know what happened. You see, that's how important it was. I don't even know what happened. But she got in trouble for something. And... <clears throat> This little bitty girl with these big eyes, she hadn't really grown any, but I sent her to bed. 
That was her punishment. All right, you got in trouble. You didn't listen. Go to bed. And so I could hear her down the hallway. I was sitting in the living room, and she was in her bedroom, and she was crying because she went to bed early. She doesn't miss out on ice cream. So she had to go to bed without ice cream because she got in trouble. And I could hear her crying. And from the distance down the hall, this little bitty voice through her tears said this. I'll never forget this night as long as I live. She said, can I at least have a kiss goodnight? Aw. Come on, say it. Aw. You know what I said? Do you think you deserve it? And right there, the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of my heart. Come on, church. And the Spirit spoke to me and said, Be glad I never asked you that question. I immediately got up off that couch and I ran down that hallway and I flipped on her light. I grabbed a hold of her and I gave her a big kiss and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry that I said that. That was, can you forgive me? And of course, you know, kids, right? Absolutely. I don't know if she was just glad that I came in the room and she grabbed a hold of me and we hugged for a minute and I said, no, seriously, I want you to forgive me. And uh, she was like, yes, I forgive you for that. And I was like, you want some ice cream? And she said, yes. I said, let's go. And we sat there and we ate the whole thing. <laughs> All of it. My wife came home the next morning. Early in the morning. And of course the ice cream tub was this. It was one of those plastic ones that you know you can. It's, you know what I'm talking about, right? They're, and you can wash it out and use the bucket. Yeah, 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 yeah right? <laughs> it was in the sink. And my wife's like, what did you do? And I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, that thing was full. I said, yeah, Melinda and I ate the whole thing. And she said, the whole thing? What time did you feed it to her? And I was like, I don't know, it was nine. After nine? (laughs) What were you thinking? I said, "I, I wanted to treat her the way my heavenly father treats me. And I want to treat you the same way. And, and from that night forward, my wife can tell you, I've parented different. It doesn't mean I haven't been stern. But I have always asked myself, Father, in this moment when I speak to my children, how would you treat me? I haven't always done it perfect. It's the same way with my wife. When I speak to her, Father, how would you treat me? I'm telling you, this will retrofit your marriage and it will give your marriage purpose and it will give your marriage value. It will do things for you that nothing else will do. Can you say amen? Grab a hold of that and let God work miracles inside of you. This week, you have homework. It's all in the notes, on the app. If you don't have them, We'll post them on Facebook or you can see me. We'll, we'll make sure you get them. I appreciate the emails and the messages I got this past week from week one's homework. Some of you are doing them. Those are good conversations. 
Amen? So we're not just trying to preach something here to fill some Sundays. I'm trying to help. Amen? I want you to grab a hold of these things. Have some conversation. Do your homework. Sit down and watch what God will do. Amen? Stand with me in this place. Father, we love you. Thank you, God. Lord, we find what we look for. We find what we look for. Help us to be gold miners in our spouse's life. Lord, this is our prayer. Mining for gold means we got to get dirty. It means we got to dig. It means we got to believe that there's something inside of them worth going after. And God, I pray for every husband and every wife in this room right now. God, that you would give them a gold miner initiative right now in their spouse's life. Dig for the good things. It's okay to get dirty. It's okay. As a matter of fact, we expect getting dirty in that process. But we're never going to give up because we know that there's gold in them. We know that there's good things in them. And God, we want to mine that out. Help us love each other the way you love us. And let purpose be powerful in our lives. Our marriages are not trophies set on a shelf. We accomplished that task. Now we're going to move on. We don't ever want to forget it or put it away. Let it never get dusty. Renew it for your glory and your honor. Will you sing this song with us this morning as we close? When the music fades, all the stripped away, and I simply go. If you want to come to the altar, now's the time. Someone will come and pray. If you just as a husband and wife want to come and spend a moment in the presence of the Lord together, you can come. My church. I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself. It is not what you have required. Yes, Jesus. You search much deeper within In the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry this morning. Thank you, God, that you have poured your presence out on us. God, we receive this word for our marriages today. God, would you come and just seal it in your Holy Spirit? 
Let it produce fruit in our lives, God. God, we continue to pray for our marriages. God, we want our marriages to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Help us, God, to realize the greatest treasure we have begins in the beginning of the book. And it's the marriage that you gave us. Fill our lives, fill our marriage with your purpose. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Turn around and tell your spouse you're not a trophy. Bless someone. Hey, Zeke Britton is our winner from our sermon notes last week. Amen. Zeke, come and see me when you can. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Yeah, gentlemen, remember, gentlemen, remember, help me stack chairs. So right in your area, guys, if you can stack some chairs into...